Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're diving into 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, the chapter of love. What an exciting time to get into the Word of God today. So let's dive right in. Father, we are grateful for your blessing, for your love that you have extended toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ would come and he would die for us. Lord, that he may set us apart from this present evil world, and that he may give us the tools necessary to be able to live a life that would be pleasing to you and sharing of the gospel, and and simply, Lord, living in this world of sin without having to be a part of it. We thank you so much for the deliverance we've received, and pray that you will bless us as we consider these things today, that we may be able to live them, share them, and in doing so, display the love that you have for them and that you had toward us. It's called agape, Lord, and it's really exciting. So let us consider that today as we enter into this word of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. It's called agape, guys, and it's really exciting. So we'll read down from verse number 1. We'll, we'll do the whole chapter to verse number 13, then we'll get backtracking and go to work. The Scripture says, verse number 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. For love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail, and whether there are tongues, they will cease. Rather, there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. And when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now f abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. A very powerful point that he begins with, and of course keep in mind when you get into the first three verses of this scripture, he's speaking from a metaphorical point of view. He's He's painting out a picture that states that if I do not display the love of God, which is the, the benevolence of the Lord, this word love is being used in, in this particular text, is this, this definition, agape. 
And what you'll find is, is that under the agape word of Greek, so there's a lot of different words in Greek that would display love, whereas in English, we, we are woefully inadequate in our amount of, of words and what they mean. So, in English, we say love. We say, I, I love my wife. But then we'll say, I love my car. Then we'll say, I love hot dogs or I love the game, uh, whatever game it would be. And, and I love a particular movie. We, we use this word love, but it doesn't mean the same thing directing it towards certain things. Certainly, I don't love a hot dog in the same manner that I love my wife. Certainly, I don't love my car in the same manner that I would love my daughters or my son. Certainly, certainly, we we don't love some things in in equality to what other things would be. And so, in Greek, you'll find that there is a word phileo, which, which is a love that is from a human perspective. It is an affection or an endearment towards other people. And you'll find uh, an agapao and an agape. So there's two separate words there, as in an agapao would be a, a love built upon a promise, a determination. Uh, like it would be found in John chapter number 3 in verse number 16 where it said God so loved the world. There was a determination behind this, this promise that God had made that he will fulfill his promise and it doesn't matter how he feels about it. It doesn't matter how he feels about you because this love is not based on a, an emotional context of affection this love is based upon a promise that has been made and a promise to be kept and there is as much an agapao promise in the covenant of marriage as there would be an agape and a phileo uh, kind of love so when you enter into a covenant of marriage what brings you to that covenant is phileo that that's that that emotional desire that's that affection that that is given unto this person to the point where you want to be with this person and so you enter into a covenant of marriage so phileo brings you to the position of marriage but when you share in the covenant of of marriage when you make your vows and these are things that you are promising before god to this other person you are now establishing an agapao based love you're making a promise that that through that sheer determination regardless of how you feel at certain times that you will fulfill that promise so that sickness and health that that uh, till death do you part you know rich or poor sick and health the these situations are something where you are making a promise to say you know what even if i'm furious with you even if i'm upset and 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 i'm angry and and i don't even want to be around you at some points of time it doesn't matter i'm making a promise to you right now and i'm gonna keep my promise to you that's a gop uh-oh love now the bridge that brings phileo and agapao together is agape okay that's right there in the middle 
And what happens through agape is because of the promise that you have made and the fulfillment of the promise as you, as you live up to your end, you begin to draw into this person. They become one with you. It, it goes deeper than, than just the, the surface of affection that would, was what originally brought you together. Most of the time it was lust. <laughs> To be honest, I mean, you, you saw something you desired in that other person and you chased after them. And, and God really, he's designed us to do this. He's designed us this way to, to bring passion within us, to, to draw us together. But then it is given unto the promise. And once you get into that promise and you begin to go through some of the trials and struggles that is, that is marriage, when you come together... You begin to build this agape. And agape is, is the perfect blend of that passion and desire that brought you to this person to begin with and that promise that you had made to thick and thin, to be there until the end. And what, what is born out of those two types of love inside of a person is something much more phenomenal than you could ever possibly imagine if you have Christ in you and you seek that that love and and it it is a benevolence that that is born in you that takes you past the point of of just having to keep your promise it's kind of one of those differences between have to and get to you know, uh, I have to go to church versus, man, I get to go to church today. I have to go to work versus I get to go to work today. I, I have to take the old ball and chain out to the grocery store versus I get to take my wife somewhere, anywhere. I don't care where I get to be with my wife th at this place. There's a great deal of difference between a have to and a get to and and the the boundary that exists is is as it would be and agapao is a have to because you're you're solely working uh, uh, those things out based on a promise that you've made without any other type of connection whatsoever i just i made this promise and praise god i'm going to keep this promise and that's all there is to it and a phileo it is is like out of this world get to is <laughs> because you're you're so infatuated with this person you're so enthralled with everything about them that you're you're ignorant of of who they really are even i mean you're just you're just elated it's it's that puppy love stage of chasing after this person and 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 the world stops in a moment for them but in between those two extremes you've got this beautiful place called agape and that is what 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 is talking about and this chapter is is the one most often read in weddings it's most often uh, spoken of in the officiation of a wedding as concerning the, the position of love. Rarely is it explained the way I'm explaining it to you now, 
you get a little bit of a bonus here. So pass this message out to everybody so they can actually learn about the different kinds of love and the way that the connection is made. And and in truth, I only spoke of three uh, types of love. And in the reality, in Greek, I think there's somewhere like 25 uh, different types of, of love that would be spoken of, or at least 25 different types of the way that we would say the word love. That would be the same as uh, the car and the cookie and the hot dog and the kids and the wife. Because the love you have for your spouse is not the same as the love that you would have for your kids or you're really messed up. <laughs> okay, that's plain and simple. So in the love that you have for your car is not the same for your kids and your wife and a hot dog is not the same for your car and blah, blah, blah. You get the point. We have a multitude of different emotional connections and, and feelings about a multitude of different things and people in our life. And so in Greek, you would have the multitude of different words to, to describe it, whereas in English, yeah, we just have one. <laughs> and and we have two words, actually. I take that back. We have two words, but we use them interchangeably, and that is like and love. Yeah, I like that person. Oh, sure, yeah, you know I love you. Uh, we use it interchangeably. The reality is, is that it's so far from one another that it's not interchangeable, but it doesn't matter to us what the actual definitions mean because we don't care about definitions in this world. We just care about how we feel in the moment. So we use like, we use love, we interchange them even though they're not supposed to be and we don't care. Forget about it. <laughs> that's, that's how it rolls. So we, we get some metaphors that are coming down the line here and we get, we, we get some comparison and contrast just as a stage to be set to explain love. So let's take a look at it. Verses 1 to 3. The apostle speaks, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass, a clanging cymbal. Plain and simple, doesn't matter what language Paul knows. If he's not displaying the, the determination of God and he's not displaying the benevolence of God in his speech to lead people to Christ, doesn't matter if he can speak their language, he's worthless. Uh, in fact, he says sounding brass or clanging cymbal, meaning he's like a, a trumpet out of tune or a smashing cymbal that just pierces the ear and causes people to flee in the other direction. Plain and simple. People get hung up on the idea of these tongues of men as, as some kind of spiritual gift or some kind of amazing thing, not even what Paul was referring to. The point he's making is, is regardless of how I'm able to communicate with people, if I'm not displaying the love of God in my communication, I'm worthless, plain and simple. And people hold up this point of tongues of angels. He says here, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and they say, ah, ah, proof that when we're doing all of our babblings inside of our, our worship services that, that we're speaking a, a language, it's just the, the language of angels and you don't understand it. Well, I hate to tell you this, but the reality behind the language of angels is, is that no one could possibly know if they were speaking in, a, in the tongue of an angel from an angelic perspective because no one's... No one's known what the language of angels would be. 
<laughs> Every time we have a reality of an angel speaking as revealed through Scripture, they're speaking our language. They're speaking a known language of man because the angel's purpose is to be a, a messenger from God to man and, and a, a literally a, a middle person, a servant from God to take care of mankind. So, so the angels, whenever they appear to man, they're speaking in the language of whoever they appear to. For instance, when, when Cornelius uh, met with, with the angels, they would have been speaking in Latin, for he was a Roman centurion. When, when you have uh, Joshua being spoken to by the captain of the host of God's army, speaking Hebrew, because Joshua was a Hebrew. You have all of these different people who have spoken to angels. Daniel was speaking to Gabriel, and, and, and you, you have all of these different accounts where people have spoken with angels, of course, Abraham on several occasions, but in every occasion they spoke in a known language. They, they spoke in a language readily understood by the, by the person that they were communicating with. And so as to understand that, that these tongues of men and of angels, well, certainly if there is a a heavenly dialect, a heavenly language that is only known among the angels between God and his creation, uh, which I don't doubt, but we certainly don't know it. And just sitting inside of a, a worship service and saying that you've been filled by the Holy Spirit by babbling in, in, in nonsensical whatevers, I want to say words, but I couldn't even say that it would be words, just nonsensical babblings, that you would be saying that you were speaking in the tongues of angels. Oh, that's wholly just not realistic to begin with. And so you'll find that that certainly, as Paul would say, I, I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. The whole point that he's talking about here is not to have a doctrine built off of what he just said, but the reality of the doctrine of what it means to love as God loves. He says, but have not love. So, so he just negated the very point of having the ability to speak any language known upon the earth. With that word, but, it negates what was spoken before it. And so he says, even though I have this, this ability or would have this talent, but I don't love people. Now, what's the point in trying to share the gospel with the people you don't love? I mean, the very principle comes from the life of Jonah, doesn't it? Jonah didn't see a point in sharing the love of God with the people of Nineveh. He didn't, he didn't see why God would even want this to take place. And Jonah was perfectly happy that God would destroy this people. And so, and he, even though he said he would do what God asked him to do, he jumped ship and took off the opposite direction. And when God chastised him and stuffed him into the belly of a great fish and carried him back to the shoreline that he had fled from and, and, and spit him out on the shore that he would get into the town of Nineveh, even at that, the proclamation that he would make concerning the people of Nineveh was not made because he loved them. It was made because he was hoping that they would think he was a joke and not repent so he could watch them die. Well, what good was Jonah? I mean, the word of God was proclaimed that people repented, but, the, but Jonah himself 
had never come to a position of repentance before God. He was just furious with God. Now you see the love of God. Now God didn't destroy Jonah simply. He, he could have. I mean, he was acting worse than the lost people he was sent to proclaim to. But God made a promise. And God kept his promise. And God blessed his child, even though his child was acting like an absolute idiot. So, we get to see a little bit of the love of God that is agapao in its promise and agape in its, in its benevolence. But make no mistake that God will, will deal with his children like he dealt with Jonah. And he comes down and he says in verse number two, and though I have the gift of prophecy. Now, the gift of, this is very important. These are words that have been inserted. So, in another thing I like about about those translations that that would closely encircle the the King James translation, rather right, what I'm using right now is the New King James. What I love about that is is that they they recognize those things which are fillers. Okay, this isn't something that's found in the Greek text. The, the gift of is not found in Greek text. The, the text would actually say, and though I have prophecy, doesn't say the gift of. That's something that has been inserted for the purpose of, of giving an understanding, a connectional understanding to the sentence, making the sentence more full in its understanding. But these words don't exist in the actual origin of the text. And so you would find that the Apostle Paul is, is speaking from a position of the people that he spoke to in the day that this was written as them understanding what he's saying, whereas when we come to it, we say, um, though I have prophecy, um, Perhaps maybe it's the gift of being able to prophesy. So maybe we should uh, explain that to the readers with the gift of. So just keep that in mind. If, you, if you're utilizing a, a text of this sort and you come across something that is italicized, you come across something that is that it looks different from the rest of the text in Scripture, it's important to stop there and to consider uh, reading it without the italicized portions so that you can see how it was written in, in its original text because those italicized portions there are something that did not exist in the original text and, and is very important to remember that. It's just a little Bible study remembrance there. He says, Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains. Now, he doesn't have all knowledge. He doesn't have all faith, so to speak. He, he doesn't understand all mysteries. And certainly, to, a, to an extent, he may have a gift for prophecy. But the point is, is that it's, it's taking this to an absurdity. Though I'm capable of being everything, though I'm capable of being God, essentially is what he's saying, but he doesn't love, plain and simple. He's nothing. And that's an absolute truth. You know, people strive to become great. 
They, they strive to be the best at their work. They strive to be the, the CEO of the corporation. When they become the CEO of the corporation, they strive to be something even more or to protect their position. They, 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 they strive to be famous. They strive. We strive for approval of, other, of others in mankind because it is, a, it is an internal desire to be approved of of by people and so there's no stretch or measure or length we won't go to in order to to receive that approval or feel that we have done something accomplished something amazing and so we will ultimately alienate our families alienate our wives or husbands alienate our children alienate alienate everything around us to accomplish these these goals that we feel we've got to accomplish and and though we acquire all wealth though we acquire all fame though we may acquire everything that we've been hoping for yet when we look into our lives we're empty we are we are lonely we are lost because everything that the lord had blessed us with we have ignored and put aside so that we could accomplish our own direction in life and the end result is that we burned all the bridges of friends that we had or we end up divorced we end up with kids not caring about who we are because we never cared about who they were or invested any time in and we we end up alone and that's what Paul's saying here. I could have the gift of prophecies, understand all the mysteries, understand all knowledge, and, and have faith so that I could just speak to a mountain and off it would be removed. But I don't have love, the very thing that would make all the difference in the world. So what if I don't understand all the mysteries? but I take care of you? What if I don't have all knowledge, but I love you? What, what, what if I don't have faith at times to be able to remove mountains, but I'm there for you and I love you? Oh, see, love makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? That, that benevolence, that, that connectional love. He said, but if I don't have that, I'm nothing. I'm just, I'm nothing. And thus, he, he, he finalizes his point to this by saying, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned. I mean, this is at a position that would be almost like uh, Martin Luther in, in the 1520s when he would, he would rise up and take his stand in Germany against the, the dictates of, of the Roman canon law of the Roman Catholic Church, and he, he would take his 95 Theses, and, and he is a man that was given unto to words. He, he penned a multitude of books. He wrote a multitude of commentaries on different, different uh, books of the Bible. He, he was just a, a, a powerful man when it came to fighting for the independence of Germany and in, in its in its religious field, and so much that a whole religion was built upon his work, called the Lutheran Church today. But he didn't love, and he he was he was he was heavily anti-Israel. There are so many writings that, that show that he despised the nation of Israel and he believed wholeheartedly in the replacement 
theology that that the church had replaced Israel for Israel had rejected the Messiah therefore it had rejected the blessing of carrying on into the future as the chosen people of God and so that he replaced them and and was adamant about killing Jews uh, in Germany as well as adamant about killing other faith groups that existed in Germany that would not surrender to the, the Lutheran Church, which they wouldn't surrender to the Catholic Church either, and neither did Luther. So it, it was uh, it's pretty interesting to see how this point to be given is that he was prepared to give his body to be burned for his savior to fight against the the dictum of the roman catholic church but then was prepared to kill others that would not surrender to his dictum his his way of of religion so you'll find that that though he did all of these great things yet he became as nothing uh, you say well he's certainly something of this modern day and indeed we do venerate him as, as someone amazing, but the truth is is that when you study the life of the man, he, he became so bitter. He started off just like the, the King David. He started off wonderful. I mean, he started off with, the, with this passion and with this desire for God and for the freedom of, of his people in, in Germany. He started off excellent. But he, and he becomes so embittered by the, the fight that he would fight, and, and he became so bitter towards other people groups, and, and so that when he solidified the nation of, of Germany in, in the connection to his particular idea of faith, he then would persecute others that did not agree with his direction in the faith. And so... Uh, verse number three comes into play. He says, but I have not love. It profits me nothing. It's very important to understand. He says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Very simply put, love will cause a person to be in a position of being humble Love is not connected any whatsoever to pride because pride is connected to narcissism, is connected to a, a person being puffed up, a person thinking that they are what's most important. And so pride would be the anti antithesis to love. Love would surrender a, a person's ways to assist in another person's life. Love would would accept another person and and would cherish another person instead of themselves. So love would be the position of being humble. Pride would be the, the position of being puffed up about oneself. It says, Love does not behave rudely, nor does it seek its own, and love is not provoked, and it doesn't think evil. And so that that's a challenge to... In verse number five, it's a challenge to the behavioral traits and the thought life that we have. If we have much uh, thoughts of evil and if we are easily provoked unto rather jealousy or we are easily provoked unto uh, wrath and, and, and we are only interested in our own things, our own life, our own ways, 
and and we are a fairly rude person and we do not have love it doesn't just because you say you love somebody and you act all these things out doesn't mean that you love at all it just means that you're using a word to cause a people to accept you that's that's all that means and oftentimes, most of the people in this world today, especially those who are apart from Christ and do not have the love of God in them, will utilize these terms and will utilize phrases like, I love you, and like, you are wonderful, and use all of these different affirmation-based phrases simply to accomplish their own design, to accomplish their own desires that are in you. And once they've accomplished everything that they've meant through you, they just as easily discard you. That's not love. Love does not discard, thinks no evil, is not provoked. He says love does not rejoice in iniquity, but love does rejoice in the truth. And certainly a person who who loves is going to chastise those who are who are rejoicing in sin, in iniquity is that which is within the heart, remember, is not that which is done outwardly. And so love does not rejoice, and the love of God that would be in you would, would not be satisfied with the wickedness that's happening inside of you, even at this moment, but desires for you to surrender that part of your life unto God so that the truth may dwell in you instead of that iniquity says it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Well, no, that doesn't mean that love believes everything. It doesn't mean that, that love accepts and believes lies. The all things that is being spoken of is the, the truth that love rejoices in. And love bears the, the truth, all things that are true. Love bears all or believes all things that are true. Love hopes in all things that are true. Love endures in all things that are true. That, that matches up to verse number 6. That, a, that love rejoices in the truth, in which case that's how it would bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things would be the truth. So he says, love never fails. And hallelujah for that. It doesn't. Love never fails. But the prophecies, well, prophecies can fail, especially if they're prophecies that people speak because they want them to be the case and not the reality of the case. Prophecies will fail. Tongues, they will cease. There are plenty of people, groups of languages we, don't, we know existed, but we don't have any idea of how they were spoken because they, they no longer exist. We find them uh, written in archaeological finds, but we don't even understand the, the dialect because all we see are the... The, the glyphs, the, the writings that they would have, but we don't know the language. So that's a truth. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And, and people can readily admit this when we, we certainly knew, have forgotten more than we've ever known <laughs> is the statement that is made. And that's truth. Knowledge, it will vanish away. He says we know in part and we prophesy in part. And that's a reality. We, we don't know everything. And, and the reality of knowing everything is an impossibility in truth. And so we only have part to be able to explain. We only have part to be able to know. He says, but when that which is perfect has come. Now, a lot of people refer to this as Jesus. When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. However, the, the challenge that we face is this word, that. 
Now, if it would have said, but when he who is perfect has come, well, that would be one thing. We can readily understand when he who is perfect has come. Well, there would be no question. That's Jesus. But it, it states that which is perfect. So this is neither male nor female. Well, if, if it's neutral in its position, then it's not a human being because a human being, regardless of what is being taught in this modern day, is either male or female to its core, to its biology. It's either male or female, so it would be she or he. Now, in the it realm, it's not dealing with human beings. It's not dealing with animal kind, in, within animal kind. It's either male or female, plain and simple. So we're dealing with something that is is not of human origin, which would then say, well, what what is possibly perfect that that has come to us that would fulfill the the position of prophecy where there wouldn't need to be any prophecy anymore that would fulfill the the, the position of of knowledge in that we would only be able to know in part until this thing would come and then we would be able to to have a complete knowledge. What would that be? My submission to you from verse number 10 is that it's the word of God. The word of God being perfect. <clears throat> and it says, but when that which is perfect has come, when the word of God and its completion, the, the Torah as, as we have received from the, the original covenant of God, with, with the people of this earth, with Israel, the Torah, as, as we would get the, the Tanakh at, in its completion of the Old Testament, the, the books of the prophets and the books of the law, the books of the, the, the chronicles and the kings. We have all of those uh, connected together in the poetry. And, and thus we move to the Brit Hadashah, that, that blessing of the new covenant that would be established to fulfill and, and complete the whole covenant that God would make uh, between Jew and Gentile bond and free that we may all come together as one and Messiah, the recognition of this uh, being found. And so it is perfect in its knowledge of God. It is perfect in, in its, its prophecy as revealed. And so the word of God is this which is perfect and that has come and that that which is done in part, we, we no longer need prophets anymore. We have the complete word of God. We no longer need um, people to come with us some special knowledge or some special key because we have everything we need in the word of God that has been given unto us in the Holy Spirit that is indwelling us to connect us to God's word and the reality of his truth. And so that is the, the point of 10 and what is perfect that has come. And thus, Paul would say the famous point, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. And unfortunately, there are so many adults that, that as they have become men and women, they, they have not put away the childish way of thinking. They haven't put away the childish things. They're still approaching the Word of God from a childish perspective. They're still living out their lives as though they were children, even though they're grown people. They're not accepting the responsibilities. They're not living the responsibilities of being grown people with wisdom and studies and and, and having knowledge and accepting God. They're, they're still acting like children. Just look at our Congress, and it will be everything you need to see in order to know what love is not and to be able to understand what grown 
children still look like instead of mature men and women. And he says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And thus he explains, for now we see in a mirror dimly. There's things that, there's still things that we're not going to understand. There's things that we're going to desire to know, but that are going to be distant from us simply because God isn't going to give us everything at this point of time. We can only have that which we could bear. (laughs) And he says, but then when we get to heaven face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Just like the the Apostle John would say in his letter, uh, 1 John, I believe it's chapter number 3, that he would say uh, that when we shall see him, we shall know him and be known by him. He says, brethren, I don't know how we're going to be, but I know that when we get there, we're going to be amazing. I know that much. And, and so that's the reference that is being made here. Is we, we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall be known, even as also I am known. And thus he finishes the chapter, And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three very powerful points, but the greatest of these is love, because love builds hope. Love strengthens faith, and thus That is the greatest of these. I hope you enjoyed that today. Let us turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're grateful. We thank you for the blessing of love. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing of your love in our hearts and pray that you will give us the ability to love others as you have loved us. Thank you, Lord, for everything you've done and for the blessing of being with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, may God bless you, keep you, and cause his face to shine upon you. And I'll catch you uh, tomorrow for 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we'll be there for probably till next Wednesday. So definitely want to catch up to that. Y'all take care now.